Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. If you would please join me in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, I want to... um, fulfill an assignment, and it's going to take more than one one session to do it. We've already um, talked a little bit about cultivating, but it's been a number of weeks ago, and we've had some, I've had some traveling, and then we've had some guests, and so I wanted to wait until I could get back on track with that, because there is a preparation that needs to happen in every one of our lives that will prepare us for what God has for us. And that preparation is a maturing in our hearts, a developing in our spirits. And Hebrews 12 makes that reference in verse 23. It's talking about the believers. It says, to the general assembly... And church of the firstborn, which was written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, or you could say righteous, righteous people made perfect. And so he's talking about a specific time and a specific gathering, but he's making reference to us in this phrase, we are the righteous We are those who are purchased by the blood of Jesus, and in that shedding of the blood, in that outpouring of the blood, we are made righteous, but there is a perfecting, and the word perfect is a word that means developed or to be made complete in process. So the perfection doesn't mean you'll be without flaw. It means that you'll be developed. You'll come from the beginning of where you enter, and then you'll come to a fullness in this process of growth. Just like we would look at an infant, and when that infant is born, it has all of its bones. It has all of its organs. It doesn't need to add organs to it. We don't have to add bones to the baby as they grow older. Their bones grow that bone develops, those organs grow, those organs develop. And spiritually, we develop as we feed on the word, as we exercise the spiritual forces of love and of faith and of peace, and we allow these spiritual forces to become strengthened in our bodies, in our lives, As that takes place, then we develop, we mature so that we come to that place of spiritual maturity or spiritual stability. I want to look at Ephesians 4 and actually we'll go on over to 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3, because I just want to 
allow us to see that we're all in process and that we need to commit to that process. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And so notice that. They were brethren. That verse identifies they're born again. He said, and I, brethren. So they're, they're brothers in Christ. They're people who are, are bought by the blood, born again, and yet they have not developed. They are at a place of, of development where they are babes in Christ. And what was hindered because of their development? What they were able to receive. He said, I could not speak to you on the level that I could speak to someone who has developed. I couldn't speak to you. I had to, I had to speak to you. I had to feed you spiritually. I had to teach you as if you were still a babe in Christ. And it was a, an area of frustration because he says, I fed you with milk and not with meat. In other words, I've been feeding you milk because before now you're not able to bear the meat. And yet now you're still not able to bear it. Not y'all, them, <laughs> right? He was saying they were not able to receive anything more at that point because they had not grown or developed in their spiritual maturity. And, and so... That's what we're recognizing. There are things God needs us to see. There are things he needs us to know. There are spiritual truths he needs us to walk in. There are applications of spiritual authority that he needs us to operate in. But it will require that we develop. It will require a maturity. Hallelujah. When... Um, Hebrews 5 identifies this same issue. Let's look at verse 11. I'm sorry, we'll start in 10. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. So they had many things to say about Jesus and his position as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek or Melchizedek, however you want to pronounce it, based on they had more things to say that they couldn't say them. Why? Not only were they unable to receive the meat of it, but it was hard for the minister to speak it. It says it's hard to be uttered. It's hard to be uttered because you are dull of hearing. For when time you ought to be teachers. So again, we see a group of people that should have been at a different level and at more advanced level of understanding, a more advanced level of the word he said, you, this, you ought to be teachers, but you have need that one teach you again 
what are the first principles of the oracles of God, and you are become such as have need of milk. You know, to become something, you have to, you, you, you come into being. The word become means to come into being something. So they weren't, but they came into being it. They came into being. In other words, they regressed. They came into being those that needed milk. They may have been at a level at one point of being able to understand more. Hallelujah. Isn't that what Jesus was teaching in that parable in Mark chapter 4 when he said, uh, with the attention, with the, with the measure that you measure, it shall be measured to you again. And the Amplified amplifies that for us and says, with the thought and understanding that you give to any truth will be the measure of revelation and understanding that you receive back. So with the attention that I give, with the importance, with the value that I give to something that I'm hearing, it's going to determine what I receive back. Minister Alexander made the reference of pastor was talking and he didn't get to eat much. Why? Because he had an understanding what's being said is more important than this food in front of me. I can eat anytime. <laughs> but to hear these things that are going to instruct me and to hear these things that are going to prepare me is more important than, than whether I get to eat my meal while it's still hot. Right? And with the attention, with the, with the measure of respect that we give for the things that we're hearing. Hallelujah. That's going to determine what I'm walking in. And when I'm recognizing that every time I enter into my study, every time I, 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 I go before the Lord in prayer, every time I fellowship and gather together with the other believers in my church family. I am developing. I am preparing. I am growing. I am receiving downloads and deposits and impartations that are going to establish me and prepare me. Hallelujah. He said in this verse here in Hebrews, he said, everyone that uses milk... So we would say that babe in Christ, that undeveloped person, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Unskillful in the word. It doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't even mean they're, they're a sinner. It means that they haven't learned how to use the word in their life. They haven't gained skill in applying the word in their daily life. And that's what God's after. He's after us coming to a place in our walk with him that we are skillful to apply the word in every situation, not just those situations that we encounter in, in church, but when we're dealing with our finances, when we're dealing with something uh, negative that's happening against our, our well-being, against our health or against our family, how do I deal with that? Yeah. I, I see some things that people walk through and I think, how do people walk through that without God? How do people walk through that without the word? Yeah. 
I heard one, one person saying, it was Pastor Nancy Dufresne, and you know her husband, his airplane went down in a crash, and someone asked her, was that the worst thing that you ever dealt with? And she said, it, it may have been the most tragic, in a sense, thing that I ever dealt with, but it wasn't the worst thing that I ever dealt with. She said, the worst thing I dealt with was things that I've dealt with that I didn't know what to do spiritually about them. But when her husband, the Lord had already put in her that instruction, you be governed by peace, practice peace. And so when they came and told her that the airplane had crashed, that peace of God rose up on the inside of her and put a wall of protection around her spirit. And she could, she said, I knew what to do. And even though it was the most tragic situation that had happened, it wasn't the worst day for me because I knew what to do. And that's what spiritual maturity provides for us. We'll know what to do. We won't fall apart. We won't, we won't bend and break. We won't, we won't become hysterical. We won't lose control. We won't have to go on, a, you know, a binge of whatever. We will we'll know what to do. We'll know how to respond spiritually in whatever circumstance or situation that we encounter because we have a spiritual root system in our lives. He said that they were unskillful. So that's what God, that's part of our developing and maturing is that we become skillful. Notice what verse 14, which is the contrast, it says strong meat, and that's what God's wanting to get us to, strong meat, and I believe we are there. I'm just saying he wants everybody individually to be able to receive the revelation. Strong meat belongs to them that are of, and this word of full age is the word perfect. So it's who are developed. Strong meat belongs to those who are developed. Those who have this practice of maturity, who are skillful in the word of righteousness, even those who by reason of use, of use of what? The word. They've used the word and be, by applying the word, their senses are exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, you'll know how to respond spiritually. You'll know the right spiritual response in whatever situation you encounter. Hallelujah. So that's what God wants for us. Now let's go over to Galatians chapter 5. And let's look at verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Hallelujah. We're called unto liberty, freedom. We walk in liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. I wonder why that's in the Bible. I wonder if that's ever been a temptation for anybody. Well, I'm, I'm free. I, he that the Son has set free is free indeed. You know, when we first had the church in the Kansas location, we're celebrating 25 years there this year. When we had first taken the pastorate there, there was a, a period of time where I drove the church van. And I had driven the church van home one day, 
And uh, I guess it caused my neighbor to be convicted. And I'd never really talked to her since maybe I waved at her the day we moved in and introduced myself. But the, the church van convicted her and she came and knocked on my door and said, I just want you to know that I don't have to go to church to be saved. That's how she started the conversation. There wasn't, hi, how are you? What was your name again? Anything like that. I, I, it was just like, I just want you to know that I don't have to go to church to be saved. I can love God from my house. And I said, okay, I'm not here to argue with you. But what came up to me is, how do you tell the Lord and the head of the church that you don't need to go? If, he, if Jesus is Lord and he's the head of the church, but you say you ain't going to go to it, how do you do that, right? But that was, that was, the mature, that was where she was wanting to say, take her liberty and, and use it for an occasion to the flesh. Hallelujah. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed. I wonder why that's in the Bible, right? <laughs> to the believers, right? Brethren, for ye brethren, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, here's the answer to all of that. Here's the answer to letting your liberty be an occasion for your flesh. Here's the answer for the biting and the devouring. Here's the answer to every situation in our lives that we would encounter and find a frustration for our spiritual walk. He says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill, complete, or bring to fruition the lust of the flesh, the desire of the flesh. So we find here that there were some desires of the flesh identified in these verses that even though we're in liberty, we, it's a temptation to take that liberty and use it in a way that would give in to the desire of the flesh. He said the answer to that is to walk in the Spirit. For the flesh desires against the spirit. I'm, I'm replacing that word just because too many times we give one connotation to that one word. We look at the word lust and we just think of a sexual lust, but it's any desire or craving. It could be a craving to always be right. A craving to get the last word in. A, a craving to whatever. The flesh craves desires against the spirit and the spirit craves or desires against the flesh and they are conflicting, contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. That's if you are giving both of them equal time. <laughs> if you're giving lead to either one of them, so what's the, what did he say was the answer to that? Walk in the Spirit. Never give your flesh the, the right to drive. Never give your flesh the steering wheel. Never give it the microphone. Never give it the option to choose how we're going to respond. And it's loudly telling you how it wants to respond. Right? 
it's loudly telling you to put your hand on that horn and honk it until they move. It's telling you to put the pedal to the metal and get around that blue hair driving in your lane. It's telling you to whatever the case may be, the flesh is trying to have that option to respond. And what do you do? You walk in the spirit. And if you're walking in the spirit, you'll not be in this conflicting position of verse 17 so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. If you're led of the Spirit, verse 18, you're not under the law. And then it goes through and it describes the works of the flesh. And it's not a full list because it goes through all of these and then, and then says, and such like. <laughs> these these, these such, such things as these. Do you see that? It goes through verse 19, verse 20, and then 21. It, it, that's, it says envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So this isn't just the full list. This is a description of, of things that the works of the flesh bring into manifestation. But if we're walking in the Spirit, that's our focus, right? That's our emphasis. If our focus is to walk in the Spirit, let's give that our attention. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It says the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, there's no productivity in it. It's destructive. It's corrupting. But the fruit of the Spirit, there's productivity in the fruit of your spirit. There is nourishment in fruit. There's advancement in the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is the maturity of the believer. The more we develop in the fruit of the Spirit, the more stable we are, the more mature we are, the more established we are in our walk. Hallelujah. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. In other words, every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is in line with God's directives and His instructions for our life. You are not going to walk in love and violate the commandment of God. You're not going to allow these fruit to govern your responses and end up going contrary to the instruction of God. If you're walking in these characteristics of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, you are walking in line with God's, God's design and His instruction for your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they that are Christ's, they have crucified the flesh. Now, who did that? They that are Christ. That's us. We crucify the flesh with its affections, its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So it's possible for somebody, not y'all, but other people, it's possible for somebody to be alive unto God, to live in their spirit and walk in their flesh. 
I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. It's got to be a very frustrating, conflicting place. I, I, I personally believe that carnal Christianity has got to be one of the worst modes of existence because you're too saved to enjoy sin. You know, sin has pleasure for a season, but for a Christian, you're too safe to enjoy it, but you're not walking in enough of the victory to enjoy that, that life in God because the flesh keeps getting the driver's seat. So the maturity is our part. It says we crucify the flesh. We put under those things that are motivated by the desires of our flesh, and we yield to these aspects of the nature of God, the love of God, the joy, the peace. These are characteristics of who God is. Amen? Hallelujah. So we are responsible to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Nobody can do it for us. You can't get hands laid on you to make it happen. You, you can't uh, uh, pray in tongues till it happens. You have to be a doer of the word. You have to take the word and put it to work. Amen. Now, praying in tongues will fortify the love of God in you. It will fortify your spirit, but it won't make your spirit mature. What makes your spirit mature is being a doer of the word that you are instructed in. Hallelujah. Let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I remember the first year I planted tomatoes. I planted these tomatoes and I went out and I got miracle grow. And I put miracle grow on my tomatoes. I had them in the perfect place in the, in the yard where they were getting the right sun at the right time. I was very diligent to water them every day. It was, it, was, it was my first and my very best crop of tomatoes that I ever had. I was really tending it. I was really cultivating. I had that, that miracle grow on it. And I had big, juicy tomatoes. And the next year, I had more plants, but I planted them in a different place. And it wasn't a place that got a lot of sun. And, so, and the soil in that place was probably soil that had been brought in and put around the house. You know, it wasn't very nutrient dense. It wasn't in the right place of the sun to get the right sun shine that it needed at the right time of day. And I didn't put miracle Grow on it. And I don't think I got enough tomatoes to even have a skillet full of fried green tomatoes because they never got big, and they never got red, and they never got, it was sad. And I learned then that the difference was, I, I had more plants and less crop, because I didn't cultivate what I had been given. I didn't put the miracle grow. And so this, this kind of teaching is miracle grow for your life. If you'll take this, and you'll start putting it in your heart, and putting it to work in your life, you'll start seeing every area of your life will flourish by being a person who is cultivating the fruit of the Spirit because this is God's plan for our lives. If for us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, 
We can't just focus on the outward expressions of power. We've got to be strong in the Lord so that when the outward expressions of power come into manifestation in our lives and our ministry, we have a root system to hold it. We have the integrity of God built into our spirit to be able to walk in that fullness. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and I'll ask if you'll put the Amplified up on the screen. 2 Peter 1.3 in the Amplified says, For his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite or required and suited to life and godliness. Everything you need to live godly has already been supplied for us. Now, I know this is a verse that we look at from the perspective of recognizing that what God has for us in our, our lives, the needs that we may have that come up, and the financial needs, the physical health needs, all of that, he has bestowed upon us all things that are required for life. But notice he didn't just say for life. He didn't just say, I've given you all your needs met. He didn't just say, I've given you the power to get well. He didn't just say, I've given you the blessing. I've given you the ability to prosper. He didn't just say, I've given you these supplies for your life. He says, I've supplied you to live godly. I've supplied you so that you can live godly. Everything you need to live godly. None of us are going to be able to stand before God and say, Lord, I tried to love but I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have it. I tried to be joyful, but I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have it available to me. I tried to walk in peace. I tried to be long-suffering. I tried to have meekness, but I just couldn't do it. He said, everything you need to live godly has already been provided for you. But it's still our choice to live that way. It's still our choice to give a love response instead of a selfish response. It's still our choice to give a joy response instead of gloom, despair, and agony on me. It's still our choice to give the response of meekness instead of, I am going to have it my way today. We've got to choose the response of God and cultivate that aspect of our life. Verse 4 says in the Amplified, by means of these, he has bestowed on us, by means of what? These precious uh, uh, promises. He has bestowed upon us his precious and exceeding great promises so that through these promises we may escape from the moral moral decay, moral decay, rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust and greed. We escape that and then what happens? We come into being something. We come into being something that we weren't. We were all, you know, Ephesians 2 says that we were, we were, in sin, it says that, that, let me read it from Ephesians 2, so that I'm quoting the right verbiage, because it's our before Christ picture. Yes. 
because we've come into being something that we're not, that we weren't, but now we are. And how did we do it? It says, we were dead in trespass and sin. Verse one, we were dead. Where were we dead? In our spirit. Our spirit was dead. We were dead in trespass and sin. In the past, in our before Christ days, we walked according to the course of this world. But he says, we can escape that. Before Christ, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's referring to Satan, for, to Satan's uh, control and influence. We were influenced by sin. We were influenced by hate. We were influenced by selfishness. But now we're not. We did in the past walk according to that influence. And because of that, we were disobedience. Verse 3 says, in the past, we had our behavior. The word conversation means lifestyle or behavior. We had our behavior, our lifestyle, in the desires of our flesh. That was my life before Christ. That was your life before Christ. We did what our flesh wanted to do. We did whatever the influence of our flesh wanted to do. That was before Christ. And because of that, we fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, but we're not. We've come into being something different. We're not that now. So we shouldn't live that way now. We shouldn't walk that way now. We shouldn't behave that way now. It says that we've been given everything to behave godly. Verse 4 in the Amplified goes on to say that we escape from the moral decay of rottenness and corruption that is in this world because of covetousness, lust, and greed, and we come into being, we become sharers, partakers of the divine nature of God. Can you describe the divine nature of God? Can you describe, if you were to have to sit down and say, this is a question on, I want you to take a piece of paper, write down, what is the divine nature of God? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. We just read it. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. What Galatians 5 22 and 23 describe is the nature of God and we are partakers of his divine nature. We don't love like fleshly people love. We love with the love of God. We're not limited to natural human love to love people with. We have God's love in us poured out in our heart that Weiss translation says it is constantly being poured out in our heart and flooding our heart. So there's no reason to say, I just couldn't help it. No, no, you've got a flood that is constantly flooding of the love of God in your heart. So you, you always have an option to respond out of love. You just have to choose it. Hallelujah. You just have to choose it. Glory to God. So this, this nature, this divine nature, we are equipped with the nature of God 
but we've got to learn how to live out of that nature. We've had so much practice living out of the flesh that sometimes it's just easier, it seems, listen, it seems easier just to fall back and respond out of the flesh, but it's not easier when you have to pay the price for that. The bill for that response is going to be more than you want to pay. The bill for getting your last word in is going to be more than you want to pay. The bill for always being right is going to be more than you want to pay. The bill for selfishness is more than you want to pay. But if you'll say, I'm going to be humble and I'm going to show meekness and I am going to to humble myself in this situation and I'm going to have a soft word that turns away wrath, then you're going to reap instead of having a bill to pay. You're going to have benefits that you'll reap back in your life by responding out of your spirit, out of the nature of God versus responding out of your flesh. Let's continue in this same chapter of 2 Peter, chapter 1, and let's look at verse 5. It says, besides this, I'm going to go back to the Amplified, for this very reason, adding your diligence to the divine promises. So it's not all on God. It's not up to God how I grow, how I develop, how I mature. There's a diligence Add your diligence, employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue. You've got to exercise your faith to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Faith, every day is a faith day. Faith is necessary. You know, a lot of times people, because we teach out of the goodness of God, that God, we can use our faith to receive healing in our body. We can use our faith to receive the blessing of God in our finances. And a lot of times people relegate the use of their faith to natural things. But one of the greatest things we use our faith for is the righteousness we are in God, in Christ Jesus. The righteousness which is of faith. So the, my standing of righteousness is connected to what I believe about what Jesus did to make me righteous. So the, one of the greatest things I can use my faith for is to develop my understanding of the righteousness I am in Christ. Without that understanding, I'm not going to pray right because I'm not going to enter into the presence of God with confidence to, to come boldly into the throne of his grace to receive help. You got to feel righteous. You got to have a faith in the righteousness you are just to even enter in with the right attitude to his presence. Because if you come in poor mouth and in the presence of God, oh Lord, I just am so sorry. And I'm such a miserable person. I'm just a Christian. I'm just, I'm just barely making this. You're not going to get very much by faith like that. For you to have access into the throne of God, you've got to come with the righteousness that you are. And you've got to come saying, Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that has washed me and cleansed me. I believe I'm clean by that blood. I'm grateful that I'm clean by that blood. I'm grateful, Lord, for what you have done by by making me your child. And as your child today, Father, I lay hold of that which you have provided for me. That's the plan of God. 
but it goes back to my faith in the fact that I'm righteous by what Jesus did on the cross. Well, in the same thing, in that same application, for me to walk in love, I'm going to have to believe that his love is poured out and constantly flooding my heart because your flesh will convince you the only option you have is to scream and rant and put your fist through the wall. Your, your flesh will convince you that you'll never be able to trust another man all the days of your life. Or your flesh will convince you whatever it is that, that has been the way that the enemy has had success in working with your flesh. See, that's what the enemy works with. He works with the flesh. If we start walking in the spirit, don't, 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 you can't touch this. Amen. Come on now, you start walking in the spirit. You start walking in the spirit. And you'll learn a new dance. I can't do it. <laughs> you can't touch this. I'm walking in love. You can't touch this. I'm long-suffering. You can't touch this. As long as we walk in the flesh, there's an open door. There's an entry point. There's a place where the enemy says, Ooh, look at that fit they just threw. Listen to that criticism coming out of his mouth. Listen to that pride. Oh, I got a door. I got a foot in the door. Door swung wide open and the enemy, he is, he is ready to pounce. He's looking for whom he may devour. But when we're walking in the spirit, we become untouchable. He has no entry points. He has no open doors. No open doors into the marriage. Why? Because the, both are, are walking in love. Hallelujah. That's what we want to become proficient in and developed in and skilled in. So he says, Add your diligence, employ every effort. I'm back at verse 5 in the Amplified of 2 Peter 1. Employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop. And it says develop virtue, but we would develop all of them. It says develop virtue, which in this case means excellence or Christian energy. So we could say the fruit of the Spirit. Employ every effort and use your faith. Exercise your faith to grow in the fruit, the character of the nature of God. Hallelujah. And in exercising virtue, develop knowledge. And in exercising knowledge, develop self-control. That's temperance, which is listed in Galatians 5. And in exercising Temperance, develop steadfastness, patience. That's also listed there in Galatians 5. And in exercising steadfastness, develop godliness. And in exercising godliness, develop brotherly affection. That's the love of God. And in exercising the love of God, the brotherly affection, develop Christian love. For as these qualities are yours already, they're already yours. They're already yours, but you may not be developed in them, right? 
He said, you've got to add your diligence to develop in these. They belong to you. They're yours. They're resident in you now. You don't have to wait for God to give you long-suffering. You have long-suffering, which is, is that ability to bear with somebody when they're not walking in line and when they're not, they're not behaving in a way. So what are we supposed to do? Kick them to the curb? No, he says, long-suffering, bearing with. Isn't that how the chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that describes love, it says, love bears long. It endures. Hallelujah. As we allow these fruit, these characteristics, these qualities that already belong to us, it says, they can increasingly abound in you. What could our lives look like if we all went up to another level in our development of these? And let me, let me follow that with another question. What could we receive from God in the, in the knowledge and the understanding? What light could we walk in if we were all at another level of spiritual maturity? Because we've seen that at the, the level of spiritual maturity that we are at, at that level determines what he's able to reveal to us. Hallelujah. He says, yeah, let's continue in this, in verse 8. As these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you, they will keep you from being idle or unfruitful. As these qualities are abounding in us, we will be fruitful. Fruitful in our relationships. Fruitful in our finances. Fruitful in our physical health. Fruitful in every way. Unto the full personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Hallelujah. In the same chapter, verse 10. Because of this, brethren... Be all the more solicitous and eager to make sure, to ratify, to strengthen, to make steadfast your calling and your election. For if you do this, you will never stumble or fall. Hallelujah. Do you see the stability that God has for us? You'll never stumble or fall. Why? If I have taken this diligence to develop, Diligence to develop my love walk. Diligence to de develop patience. Diligence to develop temperance, which is self-control. Hallelujah. This is our responsibility. Now, the first in this list, I believe, is a divine order because... Love is required for everything in our life. Love is required. We know that God himself is love. 1 John 4, 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. And that's where we 
because it is there as the first characteristic of the fruit or the, that which is produced in our spirit. We need to identify the difference between the love that we have known all of our lives before Christ, which is natural human love, and the difference in the way the love of God operates. Because if you, if every time, let's say, let's say that I have a, I have a toddler, y'all. Let's say that I taught, no, she's not a toddler anymore, she's six, but let's say that when she was younger, I taught her that this is red. And every time she saw this color, someone would say, well, I need you to bring me the teal box. And they would say, she, she wouldn't recognize it because I've taught her that it was red. And so she would, she would be confused until she learned different. If she continued trying to believe that this was red, then it would always be a hindrance. It would always be a confusion because she has learned that it was red, but in reality, it was blue. Let's say that you taught a toddler that two plus two equals five. Their whole life is going to be hindered until they learn that two plus two is really four, right? So if, if they believe, if we believe that love is that selfish, self-seeking, climbing a ladder to the top, willing to cut people under kind of thing, that love is a battlefield, like Pat Benatar says, or, you know, if we believe that love is all of the things that we have been taught in society, it's going to be hard for us to understand what God is saying. We're going to be like that toddler who thinks two plus two is five. We're going to be, make every equation's going to be wrong, right? And if we, if we think love is selfish, it's always going to end up wrong. If we say, I love you until you do me wrong, <laughs> I love you as long as you love me back, I love you as, as long as, see, then that's already talking about a whole different kind of love. So, you know, in the Greek language, there are multiple words for love. There's a, a different word for romantic love, eros. There's a different word for brotherly love, philia. There's a different word, storge, for familial love. But there was a word that began its use in the time that the New Testament was written. The word hadn't been used anywhere in any Greek writings before the time that it was used by the people who the Holy Spirit inspired. The Holy Spirit is the one who authored this word. And it's the word agape. Agapeo. And it's a, a love that doesn't it doesn't have the limitations of storge love or eros love or phileo love. It's a love that is set apart all in its own category because the rules and the, the conditions and the, the structure of this kind of love is established by God. God is the one who, this is God's love. And we have his love in abundance. 
Not only are we loved with his love, which is a lot of the reason that people are having a hard time believing that God loves them because they're, they're, they're looking at teal and saying red. They're looking at two plus two and coming up with five and they're saying, well, God loves me until God, God doesn't love me anymore because, why? Because they, they have defined the love of God with human love. But if they're defining the love of God out of God's definition, then they're going to be able to receive of this love. And until we receive of this love, it's hard for us to give of that love. If you haven't received and have faith in that love that God loves you with, it's hard for you to be a, a, a flow of that love into the lives of other people. So God is love. And this is the love that God is, is not the storge, the phileo, the eros. This love that God is, is the agape, agapeo kind of love that is a set-apart love. And so to understand that love, we have to let the Bible define it to us. And when the Bible describes what love looks like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you'll find in the description other characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that we have read from Galatians chapter 5. For instance, it says in verse 4, love suffers long. Can you give me the amplified there of verse 4? Love suffers long. That was We saw long-suffering, didn't we? It says love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious. Hallelujah. Never boils over with jealousy. Is not boastful or vainglorious. Does not display itself haughtily. Do we see meekness defined there? Do we see the, uh, the, the goodness that we saw from the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 5? It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights. I mean, that would save marriages all across the world. Right there. Love, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. See, you have to have God help you do that. <laughs> you, have to, you have to have God because, I mean, when, memory. Come on. Some people, you think, oh, well. How do you remember the details of that argument? <laughs> I remember what you were wearing. Right? The day, the hour. Why? Because they were taking account. So we have to have this love. We have, this, we have to develop this 
fruit of the Spirit, this character of God, so that we can behave differently, so that we can respond differently. Hallelujah. God is love, and His love is now in us. But you, you're not obligated to it. And that's why a lot of people, not you, but those other people, they're, they're responding differently than they have the available. They're responding out of their flesh when the whole time the love of God was there in abundance and they could have dipped in and responded out of that love. Hallelujah. Love takes no account of a suffered wrong. When Corey Ten Boom was in the concentration camps. Her entire family, they had helped hide Jews during the war and someone told about their family hiding the Jews and they took their whole family. And in the concentration camp, she is the only one who survived. She happened to be in one of the concentration camps with her older sister, one of her sisters, and that her sister was not doing well. She was already fighting physical. They were starving them, of course. They were mistreating them. They were working them. And so she was being mistreated. And there was a guard in that concentration camp who was especially mean to her. I mean, he just thrived on tormenting her and just beating her. It was just like he... he zoned in on her and and gave her extra work to do, extra physical uh, limitations of how much food they would get. And so Corey Ten Boom watched how this one guard just tortured and tormented her sister, and her sister eventually died in that concentration camp. And a lot of it was due to how physically she was attacked and, and treated. So after the war and uh, the concentration camps had been dismantled, Corey Ten Boom is now in ministry. She's preaching the gospel. And she had gone to a certain town uh, back in a vicinity in Germany, and she was preaching about the forgiveness of God. And when she got done preaching this sermon, this man walked up to her and he put his hand out and he said, I'm so glad to hear you preach about forgiveness. Uh, I have given my life to Jesus Christ and he has forgiven me. And he's got his hand out and she is, she is immobilized because it is the guard who had so, so, so tortured her sister. And here he is with his hand out, calling himself a brother in Christ, saying that he has been washed in the same blood that she's been washed in. And she said, everything in me. I thought, how can I ever forgive this man? How can I put my hand out and shake the hand of the man who so tortured and so hurt my sister? But she made this decision just in her heart. She, did, she was in her heart saying to the Lord, Lord, 
you have instructed me to forgive. If anybody has done anything to me, to forgive them. So I choose to forgive based on your word and to be obedient to you. And she said, I put my hand out. And still at that time, everything in her is screaming. How can you dare do this? But she said the moment she extended her hand, the love of God flooded into her heart. If she wouldn't have made the choice to extend her hand. See, she had the option to yield to her flesh in that moment. She had the option to yield to everything in her memory, everything in her natural inclination. But we are not those who walk in the past lifestyle of yielding to those fleshly temptations and inclinations. We are born again. And the life of God is available, and the love of God is available, and the joy of the Lord is available, and the peace of God that passes all understanding is available. We have to yield to it. If you pull up to a four-way stop, you have to yield to the person who's already in the intersection, right? You could choose to blow on through but you're violating the, that law of the yield sign, that law of that four-way stop. You, uh, when you pull up to a street and, and it says yield, you've got to be the one doing the yielding. So when you come to a situation that you say, am I going to let my flesh respond? Am I going to let the love of God respond? You've got to train yourself to yield to the love, to yield to the joy, to yield to the peace. You could fall apart or you could choose peace. You could become hysterical or you could choose peace. You could have a blue Monday or you could choose joy, right? You could have a hump Wednesday, a freaky Friday, or you could choose joy. And if you choose joy then strength is the reward. If you choose to allow that flesh desire to be in the molly grubs, to be down, to sing gloom, despair, and agony on me, if you, if you yield to that, it comes with a price tag. But if you yield to joy, it comes with a reward. It comes with a supply. Every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit will enhance your life. And every aspect of the work of the flesh will detract from what God's best is for our life. So we've got to cultivate. We've got to cultivate. Tell your neighbor, we've got to cultivate. I want to give an opportunity if you're here today. The most important thing is that you have made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life.